Well, good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, whenever you're joining us for this particular um, message. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to share this with you. I'm going to open in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to equip, to ignite a passion for, uh, to inspire and to teach regarding prayer and the why behind prayer, the rationale of prayer. And I pray that you would do something so special in our hearts as we listen to this message today. Would you fill my heart, mind, and mouth with your words, Father? Holy Spirit, come and impart to us, to your people, that spirit of grace and supplication and ease for prayer and ability to pray that is supernatural. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, today I'm going to be uh, starting a two-part series entitled The Why of Prayer. The Why of Prayer. And this is really important. Um, understanding the purpose behind something is really critical. When I don't understand why I should do something or if I should do it, or whether there is perceivable value in me doing it, I'm much less likely for me to do it. And if I'm doing it out of religion, I'm doing it out of a sense of I just have to tick this box, then it's gonna, not going to be very sustainable when I don't understand the why. And when we look at prayer, there are many questions regarding prayer that echo in the hearts of believers. And um, some of these may be why pray. Some of these may be the purpose. Uh, what is the purpose behind prayer? Um, why does God uh, intend us to pray? Surely he'll do what he wants anyway. And if he doesn't, why not? Because he's God. Um, some questions might be, does prayer really make a difference? Is it really necessary? Can prayer really change God's mind? Is the purpose of prayer to twist God's arm and manipulate him to do what I want? What is the purpose behind prayer? Um, what about when people are praying for the same issue at hand but praying opposing things what does God do then you know for instance if I'm playing for my son playing basketball and he's playing for the St. Albans first team and the Stithians parents are there watching their first team playing and we both sets of parents are praying how does God respond is that prayer powerful you know does God only answer certain types of prayer does he only answer prayers prayed by certain people are prayers prayed by certain people more powerful because of who's doing the praying? Um, is there a heart position that I can take in prayer that will cause my prayers to be more readily answered? There's so many questions that people might have concerning prayer. And the reality is we think, oh, I'm just going to carry on with my life. I'm just going to do what I need to do to tick that box. And we don't get our, our questions answered. We don't seek out the answers in scripture. And when our, when our questions remain unanswered, we remain in a place of rel relative ignorance. Why should I pray if I don't understand the why? And then I remain relatively prayerless or faithless in my prayers. Um, and it won't matter how many times I'm instructed to pray, invited to pray, how many times I commit myself to a new prayer regimen. If I don't understand the why, if I don't fully grasp it, then I won't see and understand the difference it'll make. And when prayer 
doesn't promise a tangible reward when there isn't a tangible fruit of the time and the labor that I am going to spend in prayer. Well, let's be honest, the logical outworking of that for any intelligent person is that we just won't pray. Well, why bother if God is God? Why, you know, if I don't really know that it actually is going to make a difference, I won't, I won't pray. And so that's what I'm wanting to address today. I'm wanting to address the why behind pray, why we pray. Is prayer powerful? Why is it important that we pray. And I'm doing it because I really believe that we need to have clarity on the answers to our questions regarding prayer from the Word of God. The Word of God is our standard. It's our measure of faith. It's the only place that we find infallible answers. And when we gain clarity um, regarding this particular question, and any question really, but when we gain clarity regarding this question, then it helps us in terms of faith. It helps us in terms of praying with accuracy and fervency and with understanding and and not praying in presumption and foolishness. Um, Yeah, it helps us to be consistent in our praise and to grow in our praise. And so this is this is really this is a really important question to answer. And I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people say this, and I'm sure you've heard people say it. And you know what? Maybe, maybe you were one of those people who said it, I don't know, but I've heard many well-meaning Christians exclaim after something tragic or something unexplainable happens, well, it must have been God's will, or whatever is meant to happen will happen, or God allowed it to happen, so it will just work out for the good. I've heard people Bible-believing Christians say those things. And I just want to say that we need to be careful what we say in these types of situations. And if someone says that, and and it, it makes me think either they're ignorant and they don't know the Word of God, or else they're saying something to provide a cover for God and some type of comfort to someone with a saying that they've heard that sort of sounds quite cute and nice. No, we don't say things that sound cute and nice when they contradict the very Word of God. In the book of Hosea, it says that we, God's people, perish for a lack of knowledge. It doesn't say we perish because we have no knowledge. It says we perish due to a lack of knowledge. So ignorance is not bliss and we can't comfort ourselves with sayings because they make us feel better at an emotional emotional level. We can't assume that what others say is true just because many people say the same thing because it sounds nice, okay? We need to go to the Word of God. We need to find out truth. Truth is not a personal preference. Truth is not a feeling. Truth is absolute. Truth by its nature is exclusive to opposing things things cannot both be true at the same time. Truth is given by the author of truth. Truth is found in the person of Jesus Christ and we find this truth in the Bible and that's where we're going to go today. We're going to dig out truth concerning prayer. You know, the reality is that if God is going to do what he wants to do anyway, well, why would Jesus have instructed us to pray? Why pray if God's going to do what he wants anyway? It doesn't make logical sense. Whatever is meant to happen is not going to just happen, okay? It's not true that God is in control. God is sovereign. God works in mysterious ways and does whatever He wishes, whatever He wishes without input from us and without prayer. 
this is not the truth. We need to think through the statements that we make before we readily make them, before we buy into them. Because if I really believe that God is going to do what he wants anyway, regardless of what I do, regardless of my prayer, then I'm not going to bother to pray. Okay, And when people use these types of platitudes, well, God is in control. God will just, God will use it. God, you, God uh, allowed it to happen. Good will come out of it. When we use these platitudes, it removes responsibility from ourselves. It removes us out of the responsibility equation. We, we, we saying, okay, well, I'm just a pawn and God is just going to do what he wants. Um, and so it's important that we really understand we have a biblical worldview concerning prayer and concerning these things, okay? Um, so that is my introduction for this particular message on the rationale of prayer. God is not going to do what he wants anyway. We need to pray, and that is why we got to pray. And the first place I'm going to look in the Bible for this is the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, the, the dominion mandate. Okay, so number one, the dominion mandate and its implications. In Genesis 1 verse 26 to 28, God said, Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fishes, the sea and the birds in the sky over livestock and wild animals and creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, mouth, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, roll, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and every living creature that moves on the ground. Now this is commonly known as the dominion mandate or the cultural mandate. This is where God delegated authority for the earth to man. God delegated the authority to man. God said, let us make mankind in our image that they may rule over, not that I may rule over or that we may rule over, that they may rule over. And then he blesses them and he says, fill the earth, subdue it and rule over it. So God has given us rulership and dominion and charge and responsibility for what takes place in the earth. And the amazing thing about God is, yes, he is God and yes, he is all powerful, but God will not usurp the authority he delegated to man. Nothing will happen on the earth without the active or passive permission of man. In Psalm 115 verse 16, it says, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. And so prayer is where man is coming before God and asking God for his intervention in the realm of the earth over which man has been given stewardship, rulership, and authority. So prayer is essential to get God to be involved in our earth, to get God to be involved in our lives, in our situations. I love what the late Dr. Miles Monroe said. He said, without you, heaven will not. Without heaven, earth cannot. Without you, heaven will not, and without heaven, earth cannot. And so we need to come before God and pray and invite his activity and invite his help in the affairs of man on the earth. And God's clearly stated his intent and purpose in placing man in the earth in this particular portion of scripture in Genesis. Now, God has placed his word even above his name. We see this in Psalm 138 verse 2 to 3. 
And God is completely committed to his plan and purpose. We see this in Isaiah 46, verse 10 to 11. God will not violate his own word. He will not violate his own intent. And so the way that God intervenes in earth's affairs is by invitation from mankind to whom he delegated the authority and responsibility. And one of the primary ways mankind invites him into earth's affairs is prayer. It's not the only way, but one of the primary ways is through prayer. So that is number one. That is my first point. Why do we need to pray? Number one, we see that we have authority in the dominion mandate. God has delegated authority to us. Number two, why do we need to pray? Well, we see that Jesus modeled prayer. Jesus, you'll agree with me, he is our model. He is the person we look to. So he modeled prayer. I'm going to look for a few instances in his life where Jesus models prayer. So number one, he prayed to gain clarity and guidance. If Jesus had to pray for guidance and clarity, then why shouldn't we need to pray for that? Of course we need to. If he needed to pray, of course we need to. And the scripture I'm wanting to look at is Mark 1 verse 35 to 39. It says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. But when they, And when they found him, they said to everyone is looking for you. I love the scripture. Everyone is looking for you. Everybody needs a piece of you, Jesus. Right here, right now, things are happening. People need you. And he says to them, what does he say to them? Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout Galilee and casting out demons. I just love this. I just love this. Everybody's looking for you. Well, actually, we're going over there because it's for that that I've come. And I want to ask us, you know, how often do we rush ahead with what we assume to be God's will? And we just ask him to bless what we've already decided to do. We've already decided we're already going to do it. And we ask him to bless what we've already started. How often do we see needs around us? I mean, people need us. People want us, you know. Um, it, it, you know, God is opening doors up for ministry. There's stuff that needs to happen. And of course, we assume that we have to rush to answer these needs. I'm the answer. Of course, I'm the answer for all these needs, you know, because I'm able to do something about them. But we don't see Jesus doing that. He went to prayer before he rushed anywhere to do anything and to do any ministry. You know, how often do we allow other people to indirectly steer our direction? How many of us are people-led or needs-led? How many of us are people-pleasers? How many of us have some massive door opened for our ministry, our business? We would just step out and ask God to bless us before even praying about it. But I don't see this in Jesus' life. In Jesus, I see that the first place he went to was the place of prayer and intimacy with his Father. And from there, he lived a life of purpose and purpose perfect obedience. Jesus made wise decisions and wise choices because they were grounded in prayer and led by the Holy Spirit, not led by the popular opinion of man. And you know, the gospel writers note that before every important event in Jesus' life, he would take time to go off and pray by himself. You know, in Luke 6, verse 12 to 13, it says, Now it came to pass that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them, he chose the 12 whom he also named apostles. 
You know, Jesus spent all night in prayer before he selected his 12, all night in prayer. This was Jesus, the very son of God. If Jesus, the very son of God needed to spend all night in prayer before making decisions concerning his team and his key players, what makes us think that we don't need to do likewise? Okay. Unfortunately, many of us make major decisions without praying them through. And then we come back to God and pray when things don't work out quite how we thought they would or when things start to go awry. You know, sometimes we make the decision and then afterwards we come back and we're praying and and then we're trying to play, you know, catch up and let's plug the holes and fix the problem. But we didn't start out in the right place, which is prayer. And a common major decision that people, that people make in the church without consulting God or his word is choice of spouse. You know, there are patterns and principles in God and in his word for this type of situation. We need to spend time searching out scriptures, spend time aligning ourselves with God's word and God's will and seek him concerning these types of of, of very um, key decisions in our lives. And it will save much heartache for spouses and children. And it will save multiple hours, counseling hours by pastors if people just consulted God and his principles before saying, I do, amen. Number two, Jesus also prayed for strength and consecration to his call. Um, there's a particular portion of scripture, Matthew 26, verse 36 to 46. It's in the notes. All of it is in the notes. I'm not going to read all of it because of its length. But when Jesus comes into Gethsemane um, and he says to the disciples, stay with me and, and um, sit here. I'm going to go over there and pray. And then he takes with Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he begins to pray. Um, and he says to them, stay and watch with me. And he falls on his praise, face and prays and says, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he continues in prayer. And obviously his disciples fall asleep and he challenges them concerning that and says, could you not even watch with me for one hour? And he continues and he says to his disciples, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Continuing in the same vein. And he say, and then he prays, and he says, "Oh Father, if this cup cannot pass away, um, oh my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me, unless I drink it, your will be done." And he comes back, back to them, and he challenges them concerning being asleep, being asleep. But Jesus was grappling with this. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He was in prayer that he would, he would do his father's will and not his own will. If Jesus, the son of God, had to pray concerning obedience and consecration to the call, what makes us think that we're going to get away and walk in the fullness of our call in God without any prayer at all? Of course, there are going to be issues. Of course, we going to trip up. We need to be in prayer, consecrating ourselves, desiring and uh, uh, praying concerning uh, walking in obedience to God. Okay. Jesus told his disciples to wake up, to rise and to pray. I believe that what he's saying to us today, that we should awake, we should rise, we should pray. He was also praying what he wanted them to pray. He wanted them to pray for their own benefit so that they too could walk in obedience. And so it's arrogant of us if we believe and we live a life 
that exhibits a belief that we can walk the fullness of our call in God without prayer. It's arrogance. Okay, Jesus needed to pray. We need to pray. Number three, Jesus lived a lifestyle of prayer. I love this about Jesus. He often withdrew to pray. So beautiful. Luke 5, 16, it says, So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Jesus often withdrew. Jesus had a habit of doing this. I want to ask you, do you have a habit of withdrawing to pray? Because we see Jesus modeling it and Jesus is our model. And that's a great reason for us to pray. You know, and we see in Jesus' life, if you need more motivation to pray, we see the power of this lifestyle. When Jesus um, has healed an epileptic boy, I'm going to go to the scripture now. He healed an epileptic boy whom his disciples hadn't been able to heal. And his explanation for their lack of success and his success was partly due to his lifestyle of prayer and partly due to faith. And we see this in Matthew 17, verse 14 to 16. It says, And when they'd come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and suffers severely. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Verse 18 to 19, Jesus Uh, Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we cast it out? And then Jesus goes on and he rebukes them for their unbelief. And then he he explains that they need faith. And then he says, verse 21, this kind does not go out by prayer. And some translations add and fasting. But he was basically saying this kind does not go out by prayer. So Jesus lived a lifestyle of prayer. You see, when the need arose, Jesus was ready because he lived a lifestyle of prayer. When the opportunity arises, that is not the time to begin praying, to begin seeking God. The prayer must already be happening. So when the opportunity knocks or the door opens or the need arises, we are filled, we are prayerful. We are walking in authority and faith and belief. We are living a lifestyle of prayer. So when God needs to use us for certain things that we didn't realize were going to be presented before us, we are already prayerful, faithful in that place of walking in the power of God. And he can use us to do his miracles and his healings and, and his works. Amen. Number four, I love this about Jesus. Jesus prayed for the church. Jesus prayed for the church. And we see this in John 17. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for all those who would come to know him through their words. Uh, Jesus prayed for us, his church. And I'm going to take this scripture in John 17 and just briefly run through some of the things that he prayed for, for the church. Um, now, what are some of the things that he prayed for? Well, he prayed for unity. If you go to the notes, I've, I've um, written out all the scriptures. I'm not going to read them for the sake of time. But these are all in John 17. He prayed for unity. He prayed for joy. He prayed for protection for the church, for believers. He prayed for that we would be sanctified by truth. We, he prayed that we would behold his glory. He prayed that we would, that his love that is in, in him and in the Father would be in us too. Now, Jesus knew that the church would need prayer to have these attributes. God wasn't going to just give all of these attributes to the church and do it 
anyway, Jesus wouldn't have prayed using vain repetitions. Remember, he, just, he told his disciples not to use vain repetitions. So he wouldn't have been using vain repetitions. He must have prayed because he knew that it would be powerful to ask God on behalf of the church for these attributes. So there must be some purpose in prayer. There must be a reason. There must be a reason that he prayed these things because he knew that if he didn't pray these things, something would be missing. Could it be, and I want to ask you this question today, could it be that the very issue you have with your local church is actually something that you should be praying into and God has allowed you to see a particular issue, a particular gap, but you are doing the work of the accuser of the brethren and you are not standing in the gap concerning that very thing. You see, God is calling us as believers to be people of prayer. God says, Jesus said that his house shall be called a house of prayer. That is not only grannies at home who have nothing else to do pray. No, house of prayer speaks that people in the church who are the stones, who are who build up, the, who, who make up the building of the church of God are prayerful. There's a spirit of prayer in the house, in the house of God, the house as in the people of God. We are all prayerful and we can choose as the people of God to do the work of the accuser of the brethren where we accusing and pointing fingers at the things that God needs to do in the church or we can choose to stand in the gap and pray like Jesus modeled. We pray concerning the gaps that we see in the church. Amen. Okay, number three. The third reason, the third reason why we need to pray is Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Jesus took the time to instruct his disciples regarding how to pray. And he says in Matthew 6 verse 9 to 13, In this manner therefore pray, our Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he continues with what is known as the Lord's Prayer. So I want to ask you, when Jesus instructed his disciples to pray, he taught them to ask God for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, among other things. And in actual fact, if you look at the tense of those particular words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, they could be decrees, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. But whichever way you consider the Lord's prayer to, to be housed, whether they supplications or they decrees, whichever way you want to use them. The question still remains, what happens if we don't ask for these things? Your kingdom come, your will be done. What happens? Why did Jesus ask his disciples or teach his disciples to pray that? There must be a reason. Number one, this is the reason. God's will may not happen if we don't pray it so. God's will may not happen if we don't pray it so. His kingdom may not come on earth if we don't pray it so. His will may not be done on earth if we don't pray it so. And so when something happens in the earth that we don't understand, we don't automatically say, oh, well, it must have been God's will. You know, because it happened, it must have been God's will. No, because Jesus said we have to pray your will be done. Therefore, if we didn't pray, your will be done. God's will may not be done. So what happens in the earth may not all be God's will. Amen. That's why we have to pray. The logical conclusion to reading the Lord's Prayer is that God's will is not going to just happen without prayer. And James confirms this. We read in James 4 verse 2 to 3. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Listen to this. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. 
You do not have because you do not ask. In other words, you do not have because of your prayerlessness in this area. And then he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So our prayers are not answered. Here are two reasons um, why our prayers are not answered or our desires are not fulfilled because, you know, maybe we didn't pray it, right? Number one, we haven't prayed. We haven't asked God for it. Number two, we've asked amiss. We haven't asked in accordance with God's word, with his will and with um, his priorities. And this leads me to this verse in Romans 8 verse 28, which Christians love to quote. And I know I've mentioned it before and it says, and we know that all things work together to good, for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together. God will just work all things for good anyway. No, no, that's not true. You've taken that verse out of context. You know, when we read the verse out of context, we can be misled to believe that God's will will just work out without any involvement from us. You know, that God's will will just happen, that Jesus shouldn't really have told his disciples to pray, thy will be done, because it's going to happen anyway, because God is just good and he's just God. No, we have to read that verse in scripture. We have to always let scripture interpret scripture. Romans 8, 26 to 28, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. This is talking about praying in the Spirit. Verse 27, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Okay, if you're still not convinced about the context of Romans 8 verse 28, God working all things out and that context being the context of it's been prayed so. I want to read from the Passion Translation. It puts it so well. It says, and in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times we don't even know how to pray or know the best things to ask for, but the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading with God with emotion, pleading to God with emotional sighs, too deep for words. God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones, in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. Beautiful. So the Holy Spirit pleads before God for us in harmony with God's plan and with our destiny. And because of this, so we can be convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into his perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. When we've been praying in the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit has been allowed to pray through us God's will into being, then Romans 8 verse 28 happens, but it happens in the context of prayer. If we don't ask God anything, God can't answer anything. It's as simple, as straightforward, as powerful, and as true as that. Things don't just happen without prayer. That's why 
we need to pray. And I want to read um, a small testimony from this particular book. Um, it's a book by Mahesh and Bonnie Shavda, and the section I'm going to be reading is written by Mahesh. Um, and the book is entitled The Hidden Power of Watching and Prayer. And he shares, this is a powerful testimony of, of, of how prayer can really impact um, things that happen on earth. And he says, during the week of our daughter Anna's college final exams, late one evening, I, Mahesh, was in my study when an urge to pray came over me strongly. Not fully understanding what this burden of prayer was about, I began to pray in the spirit. For nearly three hours, I remained in the state of prayer, at one point kneeling beside, beside the couch where I'd been sitting. Eventually, the urge to pray lifted as it had come. I went off to bed. As I passed by the room where Anna was still up studying, I said to her, having given no specific thought to what I was about to say, instead of taking my car to school tomorrow as you usually do, take your mother's Jeep. Momentarily interrupted, Anna looked up from her books, and nodded. I repeated this command twice more until Anna rolled her eyes and she said, okay, dad, I promise. The next morning, our house phone began to ring just before eight o'clock. When Bonnie answered the phone, the caller informed us that Anna had been involved in a terrible accident just beyond our neighborhood. We rushed to the scene of the crash. When we got there, the air was filled with a white cloud from the airbags, which had deployed. At the scene, patrolmen, two fire engine details, and an EMS unit were working. The front of Bonnie's Jeep was wrapped around a tree in a shallow ravine just beyond a hairpin turn in the road. An early rain had left road surfaces slippery, and, blinded by the morning sun, Anna had lost control of the vehicle. Skidding off the road, she had hit the tree head-on at approximately 35 miles per hour. The vehicle was totaled, and Anna was pinned inside. As the EMS team worked to extract our daughter from the vehicle, all involved were certain that our daughter was surely dead or dying. Bonnie ran to the door just as the emergency team lifted Anna out. She was alive, although both of her legs were broken. The officials on the scene kept repeating, it's a miracle, it's a miracle your daughter is alive. A career patrolman and experienced fire rescue and EMS personnel all told us this was the very first of such accidents they had ever seen, where the person in the car was not instantly killed. Those airbags, they said, those airbags saved her. The first miracle in this testimony is the miracle of being awakened to prayer. The urge to pray that came on me the night before the accident was a prophetic breath from the Father in heaven who neither slumbers nor sleeps. He was watching over Anna. As I prayed in the spirit, I'd been breathing out the will of the Father to save Anna's life during the events that were to occur the next morning. The second miracle was the instruction that I gave to Anna which came as a result of my long prayer. The insistent instruction to her to take her mother's car instead of mine as she usually did. My vehicle does not have air airbags. The mother's vehicle has airbags. The third and greatest miracle of all was the result of the first two and God's intervention. Our daughter is alive and well today.
This is a story of watching and pray. The thief who comes to steal, kill and destroy must pass by the house where watch lamps are brightly burning. One alert watchman can save an entire house. That is why Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church, pray without ceasing. Very powerful. Very powerful. Very powerful encouragement for us. You know, and I want to just ask us how many of us have had dreams or visions or impressions of bad things happening to people and yet we know they're alive and we're fine and we wonder like oh why did I have that why did I have that dream or why did I have that sense could it be that God wants you to rise and pray for his will to be done to pray that that accident is averted I know my husband shares an example of this when he was at, in university and it had, had a dream of of um, one of his um, friends from university being in an accident, a terrible accident. And a couple of weeks later, and he prayed for this friend. And a couple of weeks later, this person was in an accident, a car accident, and everybody else in the accident was killed. But he, um, his life was preserved. You see, prayer, prayer is so powerful. And God requires and desires us to be available for him to use us to pray that his will can be done in the earth because it is not his will that some of these terrible things that happen happen it's the thief who comes to steal kill and destroy that is why he desires his church to be awakened in prayer that his will can be done in the earth okay so the second thing that i'm wanting to look at here is that jesus well, first of all, you know, first of all, he taught his disciples to pray. Second of all, he had an expectation that they would pray because Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 5 to 7, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. You know, they love to pray uh, that they may see, be seen by men he said, and they have their reward. He says, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you've shut your door, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So God listens to our prayers, our personal prayers. They're still powerful. And he says, and when you pray, his expectation was that we would pray, his disciples would pray. Don't use vain repetitions. We don't need to use vain repetitions. God hears us when we pray. So Jesus assumed they would pray. He instructed them regarding what to do and what not to do when they prayed. Are you and I disciples? Yes. So in the same way, Jesus expects that we will pray. Number three, I love this about Jesus. He encouraged his disciples that prayer gets results because sometimes we can feel like, are my prayers even making a difference? But Jesus encouraged his disciples that prayer gets results. And I want to encourage you today, prayer gets results. Matthew 21 verse 22, he says, and whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now, obviously, there are terms and conditions. Obviously, there is fine print regarding this particular promise. Obviously, we have to ask in accordance with God's word and with God's will. And we have to ask in belief and then we will receive. John 15, 15 verse 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So Jesus wanted to encourage his disciples that prayer was powerful, that prayer gets results. So Jesus modeled prayer and a lifestyle of prayer. He expected his disciples to pray and he taught them how to do so. And this paints a picture of the necessity of prayer and our Lord's expect expectation um, regarding us and our particular prayer lives. And that's where I want to conclude this message today. Um, 
So today we've looked at, in terms of providing a rationale for prayer, in terms of providing the why of prayer, we've looked at number one, the dominion mandate and its implications that God has given us rulership, responsibility for the earth, that we need to invite him into the earth if we want him to act in the earth. Number two, we see that Jesus modeled prayer, that Jesus prayed to gain clarity. Jesus prayed for guidance. Jesus prayed for strength and consecration to his call. Jesus lived a lifestyle of prayer, which enabled him to operate in the fullness of his calling. And Jesus prayed for the church. So all of these things show us that we also need to pray. We got to pray for guidance and clarity. We got to pray for strength and consecration that we can walk in obedience to the call of God. We got we to gotta live a lifestyle of prayer too. We also got to pray for things that are important to God's heart. And yes, the church is very important to his heart. The church is the body of Christ. He loves the church. The church is the answer on the earth. They are his hands and feet. We are his hands and feet on the earth. So yes, we got to pray for his church. We got to pray like, like Jesus prayed. And number three, today we looked at the fact that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And from what he, from how he taught his disciples to pray, we see that God's will may not happen if we don't pray it so. God's will is just not going to happen by itself. Okay, He's given us responsibility for the earth. He's given us authority for the earth. And Jesus taught his disciples to pray and had an expectation that they would pray. And he encouraged them that prayer does get results. And so having looked at these three points today, I want to encourage us to take a good, hard, long look at our prayer lives and go before God and ask him, Lord, you know, is this, am I walking in the fullness of prayer that you would have me walk in? Am I being faithful in prayer to the degree that I need to in order to walk in what you've called me to, in order to be available for everything you want to use me in, in order to be used by you to touch the, all the people that you're wanting me to touch, wanting to challenge us regarding that today. And next time we're going to look at more, we're going to look at a couple more um, points regarding the why of prayer and the rationale of prayer. And so as I close today, let's, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you've entrusted us with this responsibility of the earth and the happenings in the earth, but you haven't left us alone, Lord. You've provided us with this incredibly powerful vehicle of prayer in order to effect change in the earth, in order to be a conduit. This prayer can be a conduit for your power, your kingdom, and your will on the earth. And so, and so, Lord God, we want to bring ourselves before you. You can agree with me if you want to agree with me. You don't have to. I just want to bring myself before you, Lord, and I pray for each one of us who desire to be faithful in the area of prayer, that you would give us such a grace for prayer, that you would soften our hearts and enable us to carry the burdens that you would have us pick up, that you would give us eyes to see the gaps, the cracks, the leakages that you want us to stand in, in order to build up the break in the wall, Father, in these areas Lord God, we desire to be faithful and live a lifestyle of prayer, even as Jesus did, that we can walk in the fullness of obedience 
to your call. We can walk with clarity concerning your will. We can be faithful to work with you to prevent certain terrible things happening in this earth, Father. We can work with you in order to bring forth your kingdom and your will on this earth. And so we pray that you would do this work in us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.